Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you? What the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fuck nicks? What's happening? How is everything all right? How's you and yours? How are you and theirs? How is you and what is happening? Man, this state is uh, underwater. Uh, down here in Southern California, a lot of rain. I didn't see. My house is still here. There, there's been some uh, menacing water in the streets. Some uh, rivers and streams where there once were roads are still roads, but a lot of water. Uh, my heart goes out to anybody that's in uh, massive, disastrous flooding situations or had accidents or, you know, what the, the bad stuff. But down here, it's just a lot of fucking water. A anyways, in my house. I don't know about down my block. Maybe I'm being totally selfish. And I got to be honest with you, I'm grateful for the water. It's not natural water. Nothing seems natural anymore. It's just dumping out of the sky. Maybe I'm projecting, but it just seems that any weather event, if it is an actual event, is somehow extreme. And uh, this has just been a lot of water outside of panic and sort of kind of going into a mild depression because of the grayness and, and the wetness. Uh, I'm happy. I'm always happy when it rains in Los Angeles. I'm thrilled, actually. Uh, and I have to hold on to that so I don't... Uh, so I don't drift into a rain-based depression. Though it has let up. It has let up, and maybe there'll be more. I do know I'm going to have to get new rain gutters. I'm probably going to have to get a new roof. But this is the beauty of home ownership, right? Yes. Yes, folks. So look, you guys. Today, I'm going to talk to my co-star from Two Leslie, the amazing Andrea Riceborough. You might also know her from things like Birdman or The Death of Stalin or her Black Mirror episode. She's a astounding actress, a brilliant actor, actress. I, I don't you can't you just call everybody an actor now? I how does it work? She's amazing, and I talked to her. I don't know that I realized. I don't know when I got into too Leslie that I I understood not the impact of the movie, but what I was really getting into. And it's probably better off. I didn't really think about it that much other than should I do the movie or should I not do the movie in the middle of peak COVID. And I was also kind of still pretty devastated with a, a sense of grief and darkness. And there wasn't much going on in the world, but I was really resistant uh, to doing the movie because it just seemed like a hassle. This is the weird thing about me, I guess, and acting is that I didn't set out in my life to, I, I don't make acting my primary focus because I don't think I could hack it. 
and and I never thought I was good enough, and I never had representation. I'm not even sure I had a, an agent for about 25 years. I think I had people do my manager favors, my manager at the time, but I don't think I really had anyone representing me, and I went on like four auditions in 20 years. But getting into uh, to Leslie, I mean, I knew Andrea was a, a great actress, but I, I don't know. I just... I don't know if I put things in the proper perspective. It's getting a lot of attention right now. It's getting a little bit of a push from a lot of fellow actors for her to uh, to get on the docket for an Academy Award nomination, which she certainly deserves. And, you know, I, I don't think when I, I got into the movie that I realized just w- what it would become. Obviously, you never know. But I'm not even sure I realized just how amazing and well thought of she was. You know, I was out of my mind and all I knew was, you know, I get this call from this director and um, he wants me to do the movie. And I'm like, I don't know, man. And then he enlists Chelsea Handler to start pestering me. And there was really no reason why I shouldn't do it. It was only two weeks, three weeks or, you know, my shoot was like, I don't know, 12 days. I don't know. But it's the middle of COVID. I think I'm in still in some sort of PTSD around it. Like I barely remember doing it. You know, I just remember that I was nervous about the accent and I thought to myself, if I'm going to do acting, I should take some chances. So I did it. I did an accent. I did this Texan type of accent and I showed up emotionally and I was present and I listened. But the odd thing I think about, you know, if I'm going to be honest about whatever acting I was doing, I knew that my character despite whatever backstory I put in place for the character or what was going on in the movie, I knew that my character, both on screen and off, was there to support Andrea and her character. An almost immediate natural codependency uh, was established. I don't even know why it happened exactly. And it was perfect for the part. And it was also you know, part of myself that I don't even, that I don't really cop to all the time. I just know that when I got on set and we started doing scenes, that my character is fundamentally a codependent guy that wants to help this woman who's, you know, tragically uh, uh, submerged in alcoholism and wants to help her. Now, obviously this guy doesn't, is, is not naive, but yet he still looks past a disastrous situation to help this woman. And I just felt that right away. I felt it for Andrea. I felt in a sense that my job as an actor was to support this woman in, in this work. And I knew that right away. I wasn't told that, but it also fit perfectly well with the characters at hand. Like I was concerned about her, but look, she was totally into her trip, but I just like whether she completely knew it or not, and I think it, 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 she did in, in the scenes, yeah, I was completely concerned and deferring and, and totally kind of codependent uh, with Andrea and with Andrea's character and my character. So I guess what I'm saying when I think about the acting is that, I mean, I don't know if I would have been that way naturally and I don't know if it was because the character was naturally that way but I did find it in myself to show up for her as a character and as a person it just it all kind of mixed together 
I don't know, man. I think I did all right. People seem to think I did all right. People love the movie and they think she's astounding in it, which she is. But I think that my friend Brill uh, put it put it correctly. He texted me. He's like, you know, I went and saw two Leslie and the first third of the movie is just all Andrea. And he was like, you know, dude, uh, that performance was beyond uh, comprehension. It was so fucking good. And I was concerned. I was worried for you as as the movie went on and you hadn't arrived yet or you hadn't appeared yet. My friend Steve was concerned. He was concerned that how is Mark going to fit into this amazing, masterful performance? And he was surprised. He was he was complimentary and he said it must have been like being in the ring with Tyson. Now, I didn't really feel that. You know, I don't I don't really know what I felt. I just know that when I'm in the movies that I am pretty present in the scenes. So, I wasn't thinking about how great she was doing. I was just thinking about how do I help her? Not as a an actor but also as a character and you know what is my line you know where what are my boundaries in this relationship and these weren't really things that were happening to me there were things that were happening to the person I was playing and I didn't know I didn't even know how that was happening I didn't know how it was transpiring I can't even explain it but I did know that in my personal life I was you know in grief and also tired of isolation and we're on set and everyone's wearing a mask in between shots. The only people that can't wear masks are the actors while they're shooting. There was no real hanging out. Craft services wasn't even fun. The trailer wasn't fun. You know, in between, you know, scenes were just masked up and visored up and it was all pretty uncomfortable. But there was something about that that lent a sort of urgency to the scene at hand. It was almost like we were the only ones who were had the freedom to engage like regular people used to engage in the movie, you know, during the shooting, you know, when they said action, whatever, whatever's going on with me and the other actors, we were the only people that were enabled to live regular lives for one take at a time. So maybe there was something about that, about the excitement of that or about the shock of that or the nature of that, that we were actually almost doing something forbidden by engaging without masks intimately and close to each other in each of these scenes. Maybe there was something that just electrified that movie partially because we were doing something radical at that time just by engaging like regular people in a movie. It was just a a hell of an experience that I barely remember just because that entire period of COVID and for a year or so after Lynn died, it just feels so almost hallucinatory, almost like an illusion. Just like, I don't know if it's from PTSD or just, again, I've been talking about this. My, my, my nature is to just engage with the present pretty heavily. And then when I walk away from it, unless it makes a profound impact, um, I don't remember it as anything other than an engagement, but I do remember there were, there were definitely moments where I'm working with Andrea on this movie to Leslie that were pretty great. 
and and pretty you know when you do a scene like there's a scene where i talk to her at the picnic table and you realize when they say cut that you've landed in something that something happened there in that special space of a scene being shot and it just felt it felt true uh and they say cut and you're like wow okay man i was in it she was in it but it was a real honor to work with her and uh, i'm i'm glad that so many people are coming around to the movie but she's pretty humble and she's the real deal and you can uh, kind of listen for yourself uh when i talk to her now and to leslie I forgot to mention this, is now available to buy or rent on most video-on-demand platforms like Apple TV and Prime Video. Intimidating. It was more intimidating to have this conversation with her than it was to act with her for some reason. Acting was a lot easier. This is me and uh, uh, Andrea Riceboro. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school, or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature, and now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Foxed Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Foxed Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcast. It's so weird with acting, though. There's so much robot. There's so much out of your control. Everything. And you can do, yeah. And you can do whatever you do, and you don't, and you still don't know what. You can walk away from feeling like I did great, and then it's yeah. like garbage, and you don't know why yes. or how, or you do. Maybe. Yes. No. And I've, I've said this a million times. But yeah. like every every single time I've. I think that I'm doing something very well. I yeah. know it's my worst ever work. <laughs> really? Because, of, because why the fuck am I thinking about that? You know what I mean? But the, but even after? I, I don't think so. Yeah, I can't, I can't watch half the shit that I do. I just, I can't. Do you watch everything you do? Uh, well, since for the last 10, 12 years I've been yeah. producing things. So f- for that time, I, I, you know... <laughs> Out of necessity, I have had to watch myself, and sometimes I've been in it and producing it at the same time. Right. When that happens, of course, yes, I watch it, you know. Yeah. And uh, you go through the whole post- process in, in post and then yeah. to a distribution level, and, right. and you get, you, it, you become so familiar with that performance in a really strange way because you're both producing it and right. the, the sort of physical meat vehicle yeah. that the <laughs> character's yeah. sitting on. And you, and you see it, it, it it's just, it's a, it's, Sort of an out of body experience. After you have to a while. detach yourself somehow, or mm-hmm. it just happens naturally. But if I'm not producing it, yeah, absolutely not. Really, you know, I, no, I don't. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I suppose back to be from the in, going from the yeah. inside out. But you know, when you're a child, and yeah. you look at a baby, and they look through these. Their eyes are like yeah. portals into the world, and they look with no self consciousness, and they can stare at you for six or seven hours. Yeah. You know, and they yeah. have no nobody's 
grabbed a fig leaf. You right. know, every there's there's just a complete lack of self consciousness, that yeah. observation, that being totally present, and in a sense, as divorced from that as we get, we spend the rest of our lives trying to get back to it. I think in in a way, you know, in adulthood, at least for a moment, really, you, can't, you can't really enter trying, the world naked. And no, confused. but 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 <laughs> desperately trying to just. Yeah. To just have an unself conscious experience, yeah. Oh, yeah. whatever it is, right. whatever right. it is. That's right. Um, and so much of adulthood, so, so many of the lessons in adulthood are about that, about just really being connected to yourself again. Yeah. You know, in some way. Yeah. Trying to get connected to something. Right. Whether it's yourself or something else. Right. Um, and when I, I don't know about you, but when I watch myself, I really develop quite a, like a, strong objective opinion or perspective about what's what's going on yeah not even me particularly the character or you know but um, do you ever have that moment where you're like yeah i could have done that uh differently i mean on, I think only if a, only if I, I, i'm not lost in it oh so it, so you make no mistakes if you're lost in it but if you see yourself come out of it even if you were the only one who knows for a moment in, in something that makes yes, then the we film. then we'd have to do it again. <laughs> but I always know that from the inside anyway. So you know, I, you I mean don't need to watch. You make that choice, but you don't. You've never had that experience, like when you're watching something that's already done, that's already in the can. Well, a strange thing is, yeah, I've never played anything with my own voice or my, yeah. own, you know, with my own physicality or whatever. Ever? Uh, no. Hmm. Um, I dabbled in it recently, which was a horrible experience. Really. <laughs> Really? <laughs> oh. well, huh. Well, that's kind of uh, interesting. And I mean, what, what, how, what was the dabbling? What, what, what happened? How, well, how did... well, all of which is to say, I think that because of that, I'm afforded a little bit of distance, if, right. okay. if you know what I mean. Sure. So, yeah. so there, there is a... And you know that. I can be taken away a bit by the story if I do have to watch myself. Right. Imagining okay. that perhaps I'm somebody else. So what was this thing that you experimented with being you in? Um, I produced something recently with... Um, Fremantle that had been in development for quite a long time, and is it with your production company? It wasn't. I oh. produced. I was. In, I independently okay. was part of producing it. Um, uh, we we make film. My production company makes films, but this was a sort of episodic, episodic mini series. Uh-huh. I'm less familiar. I'm much more familiar with film and theatre, yeah. and I feel much more comfortable there. But I, um, so, what makes it different a mini series? Just because there's you keep doing it. I mean. I, I mean, it's I mean, it's such a large question, but it's fantastic when you have one director. Yeah. I think, okay. Right. Yeah. Or maybe two at a stretch. Okay. And there's one clear creative vision. vision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't really enjoy the process of people coming in and out and the doors, you know, yeah, yeah, spinning yeah. around. Oh, so that was happening. No, wasn't oh, okay. happening at all. Okay. Wasn't happening at all. But um, it's it, you know, it's it's kind of difficult to talk about. It's it's like. Um, I think you work with people yeah. and you trust them. You know, right. you and I trusted each other. Sure. You and I trust each other. And I know that whatever sort of goes between us or what happens between our characters yeah. is it sort of remains in that world of our characters. Yeah. But when you are developing things sometimes with people, mm. they want to put your story into the story because it because it um Makes it a more interesting quilt. Or they think it's going to be more authentic. Uh huh. And actually, I think that ends up feeling a little um, <laughs> uncomfortable. A little bit like. 
a little bit intrusive, you know, oh, very, yeah. very intrusive. Huh. You know, of course, you bring all of yourself sure. to whatever you do, don't yeah. you? Whether it, whether it's yeah. standing in front of many people and making them laugh or creating this, you know, hybrid of you and something else. Yeah, yeah. You're your tool. Yeah. Well, we are our own tool in, right. in all of this. You can't avoid that. Right. Innately, you're going to... You, yeah, you're, you're the fabric in. of it, yeah, you know. Yeah. But I, I think it's it's wonderful to have some space between who you are, yeah, and what you're exploring at work, just like anybody would have in right. any industry. And there, there, and there, it, it, oddly, you have it usually. Yeah. I mean, whether I mean, a lot of people think they they know me and they know me to a degree, and my comedy is very personal, and this is what I'm doing here is very personal. But there's still 23 hours a day. You know, where I'm having mm -hmm. a life mm -hmm. and I'm processing feelings and emotions that yeah. they're not theirs. And there are some things I keep to myself. Not many, but there's a few. <laughs> <laughs> those, those things that when you're reading Terry Pratchett on the loo, you know, like the really, the really private moments. <laughs> yeah. But, well, that's, a, that, that's not that loaded a private moment. No, but, it's uh, not really. But yeah, but there's definitely, sure, there, there are things that you naturally, no matter how much you put all in into anything, I think you do seek on some basic level, to protect yourself a little bit in terms of you, yourself, self. Certainly, and also to, to you know, to keep developing yeah. uh, as, a, as a person. It's very it's very odd. People who've had to develop in front of the world, and so many people do now with social, social media. I'm not on social media, but so many people do now yeah. with social media. They have a, their, their entire persona or avatar. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that sure. That horrible detestable word brand yeah. has, has been in relationship with the world. Yeah, and a lot of people are so... Platform. Right, they're so conscious of that, and that's mm. a choice they're making. Mm. Uh, you know, I, don't, I guess it, I, I'm on the other side of the arc of sort of like, how do I pull out? <laughs> you know, like I'm, I think I'm yeah. about done. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I got involved with that stuff, but I was never really conscious of a brand or whatever, but I am conscious of oversharing and of putting a lot of stuff out there. But... I think that it's its own thing and that a lot of those people, if they're huge or they're famous already or they have a career, I'm not sure where that comes from. I imagine it's not totally their own choice, but they're being told to do that to stay, you know, in the mix or relevant. You know, but some people who are – that is how they're starting their career. I think it's very deceptive, that idea of – or the concept of remaining relevant in this very – you know, on the the – the sh in the length of the universe, the shavings yeah. of a fingernail sure. in, in time. Whatever that means. Well. <laughs> it's everything so transient. And, yes. Re you know, re relevance, what, is 10 know, minutes that, these days. But philosophically, that takes some sort of, uh, you know, existential maturity to really kind of frame it in that, like, you know, look, we're, none of us are really that important. It does, but we have so Doesn't many it? examples, don't we? We have <laughs> yeah, so of many course. examples of it. I mean, of course. Even, even when... You, 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 the Egyptians, you know, and you, sure. you spend time in Egypt and you think, yeah, there's one or two of these people who've come through and they, they're a literal gargantuan monuments yeah. to their yeah. spirit. Yeah. It's mean, what happened there was meaningful. Right. Right. What happened Whereas, there was meaningful and that, and a, that, that does have value. That has undeniable value. Sure. And it's also, it has, a, you know, uh, uh, it's a geographical reality. It's a structure. Mm -hmm. Whereas like social media, it's just a a burning heap of nothing that just 
disappears. Do you know what I watched the other day? It made me laugh so much. Uh, It does every single time I watch it for your consideration. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. It's just so... The movie? Yeah. It's just so fucking funny. But, you know, just the idea that that on, on on the... just the sniff of a fart of some sort of nomination. Nobody even gets nominated, I yeah. think, in the movie. But, but yeah. just in the sniff of a fart, yeah. which is how I see social media. Yeah. It everybody loses their minds, their faces. You know, mm-hmm. any connection to reality. Well, well, that's that sort of weird. Like it's totally ego driven. You know, where we live in this sort of weird. Uh, malignant, malignant narcissist culture. It's innate. And everybody's looking to connect somehow. But there is this weird distance there, too. It's like people live online or they live, you know, they, they don't even have to use their, their, their real name. Mm-hmm. They're like, they, it's something that happens in an emotional moment mm-hmm. that goes out into the whole world. Mm-hmm. But I wonder how really connected anybody is to it. I, I mean, some people are because they're addicted to it. But ultimately... I think we're in a lonely time. Yeah, I do. A, a very, a, a very, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, but a, a fully uh, chaotic and highly uh, motivated and uh, informed lonely time. Desperately lonely time. Yeah. Yeah. Desperately <laughs> and elaborately lonely. <laughs> Deeply connected and disconnected all at once. It's true, right? <laughs> Absolutely, oh, and for so many, for, for all of the good reasons that us being connected. You know, there are so many good reasons to be connected. It's so important for most people in the world to be able to be connected. And then for for the ones who have connection coming out their ears and, you know, all of the advantages, it's like probably not very important at all for them to be connected. You know, I mean, it's not a a question of life life or death. It's not a political necessity. Right. But what does connection mean? It's sort of interesting because, like, you know, when you act or when I act or when we acted together or when I go on stage in front of people, like, my life is sort of like I'm not – I don't have a work environment unless mm-hmm. I'm doing something and or unless I'm doing this. But it always involves real connection. Mm-hmm. You, you can't – with what we do, you can't kind of, like, sleep through it. Like, you know, there's <laughs> and, – and also, like, in life, I just – I guess what my brain did when we were talking about it is that, like, when – when we're in real trouble, it seems as if people can't identify that real connection in mm. real life or that becomes um, – it doesn't register the same way mm-hmm. or, or it's not enough or it becomes boring. Mm-hmm. That, you know, this compulsive engagement with this hyper-real and all these social media platforms, mm-hmm. that's a sort of, you know, juice, but it's more of a, uh, an addictive juice. But the mm-hmm. actual – because it's, it's a little menacing uh, well, to it's be also with sort of real... a, a replacement for community in a sense, isn't it? Sure, yeah. And everyone has a different relationship to, to community. Some people have no interest in it whatsoever, and that's completely fine. And some yeah. people do have a are very strongly connected to some sort of community. Yeah. But, but the feeling, maybe to replace the word community with something else, uh, just the feeling of connection and having perspective. Yeah. Um, well, you must you must have it a bit if you're not engaging with any of that shit. Well, so, well, I, I mean, to me, that that feeling is hope, yeah. And the and the opposite of it is is hopelessness, if you know what I mean. Sure, the the uh, electric hopelessness. <laughs> the, the, the sort of like frenetic hopelessness. I think so, but I think the amount that we all work now, whichever mm. industry or walk of life you're in, always working. It is this so much of life is consumed with work believe that me it's, i think about that all the time it's hard to to not have a very insular experience of life anyway 
Right. Where, where do you got the time? What does that mean? What is community? Going to that supermarket? Mm-hmm. Basically. <laughs> Saying hi to the guy. Trader Joe's. At the, yeah. That's <laughs> where it begins and ends. But when you started, I mean, where did you grow up? Newcastle, northeast I, of England. Is that a pretty place? Um, it's a it's a beautiful place. It's yeah. it's one of those places that was that thrived in the industrial revolution. It's been through many many incarnations, uh-huh. and it was Scotland then England then Scotland. It was it's a borderland. So yeah. um, the people are hearty and resilient and mm. warm and oh, yeah. loud and. Uh-huh. But it's a very, very cold place. <laughs> cold. Uh, just chilly. Oh, just yeah. chilly. Uh, right there on the North Sea. Yeah. It's silvery. You know, it's like the, it's that, the, the fabric of the place. Is, it's, all of its gray? colors are gray and yeah, silver yeah. and purpley. I love that. Um, it's, it's magical in many, many ways. But could but get it depressing? Also, well, it, has that f- it, ha- it almost has a feeling of Detroit. Wow. Uh, in the okay. sense that it, it had this burgeoning industry during the Industrial Revolution, then yeah. the nature has sort of reconsumed that industry. Uh, so so, there's, so there's there are a lot of factories and buildings. Dead machines, dead uh, factories. L- many, many things. It's, it's been rejuvenated massively at the minute, which is, which is wonderful. But also I, I, I do feel sad that we're losing some of those incredible, uh, I don't know, they're like ghosts. testament. Yeah, there's it's strange. Ghosts of the Industrial Revolution. Strange, uh, like uh, leafy car parks. <laughs> You know, yeah, yeah. Car parks with trees in the middle of them. Uh, we're losing a lot of those, and there's and there's there's a lot of development going on right now there. And your um, people there still? Yeah, my mum and dad are there, and um, my sister's in London, and my sister uh, is a brilliant. She's she does improvisation and comedy, and um, she's a brilliant writer. Oh yeah, yeah, and she's just funny as fuck. Um, oh, that's great. She's the only person who's actually made me spit out water at a table before. Older, younger? She's younger. Yeah? <laughs> She's younger, yeah. It's just the two of you? Yes, yeah. And we've got quite a small family. My mum and dad are both only children. Oh, really? It's quite unusual. How does that, how does that manifest itself emotionally? What do you notice about that? I think a lot of separate worlds between the four of us, you know. I just remember growing up having a lot of sort of fertile private time in my mind. Oh, yeah. Oh, like an only child. A lot of sp- it, it, strangely, perhaps, yes. Huh. Because I talked to somebody who was like, whose parents were both, um, uh, I don't know if they were adopted or they were foster, or they didn't have parents. Orphans. <laughs> You're reaching for that word. Yeah. <laughs> Took me a while. <laughs> the parents were both orphans. So, like, how do mm. you come in? And he's a famous comedian. Mm. So, how do you come into knowing how to engage with a child? You know? I, I read something that uh, an actor who I who I'd known and and not worked with but known in the British theatre, who yeah. a very very brilliant actor, who passed away now sadly. It, both of his parents were deaf, right. and he talked about um, growing up in in sort of in total silence, really. And that's not how I grew. I, actually, the soundtrack to my growing up was was probably Hollywood. You know, my dad as a huge. Um, old Hollywood enthusiast and used to, and his, and his mom um, sold tickets at the theater after the Second World War, and so he used to go. Oh, really? From so school to there and watch all the like in the thirties and forties and that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, it would have been. It would have been in uh, like fifth. It would have been nineteen fifty, probably when oh. he was doing that. Nineteen fifty to about nineteen fifty. How are you with the very old movies? I find that as I get older, I can 
handle them better. I watched one last night, an old John Garfield movie. I love them. My dad and I, our, our tastes do cross, although, I, you know, uh, I'd say he's sort of more old Hollywood, more mainstream old Hollywood, mm. uh, you know, such an aficionado and knows every last name. From uh, the old, from the 40s and 50s? He's a car dealer, he's, you know, he's, that, that's his profession. But, he sells cars? Yeah. But, um, but just... Just a love movies. loves being in the cinema and loves that experience, um, and I'm I perhaps lean more toward European cinema. Oh really? And yeah, I wish I knew more about. I wish I was more uh, uh, learned in European cinema. Well, yeah, I think if you I think if you find it for yourself, it, yeah. it, it's. It's very, it's, there's a huge, great difference, isn't there, between it, you know, being, having one of those incredibly culturally affluent upbringings where yeah. you sort of handed all of the best things first and, sure. t- and made very aware that those are the best things and you should be, right. you should be working towards those. Yeah. Whereas if you find them for yourself, sort of haphazardly and accidentally, with lots of uh, bumps along the way, it, I. I, I I'm I'm glad that I did that because it feels like a very personal discovery. Yeah, and it's your and you have your own kind of uh, uh, you can put together your own point of view around all this stuff. Absolutely, yeah. it, it's a blueprint, really. It's form a formative blueprint for you, yeah. you know your your own development. And you've made choices, and and you know either your dad sort of turned you on to some stuff, and you were able as time went on to push back a little because you found your own things. Absolutely. And then and then you find people in your life that as you move through life that you respect, and they tell you about a thing, and you're like, oh, yeah. And then you can sort of associate that thing with that person, and that you know shift in your in your thinking because somebody uh, inspired you to be absolutely there. absolutely like you know thanks dad for humphrey bogart and and thanks like sixth form college for tarkovsky you know what i mean <laughs> i'll take it yeah so like do you remember which of those foreign movies were the first one to sort of make you go like what the fuck is happening in the world i think the whole world of um you know not just european cinema really yeah. but i mean I think anything that wasn't an English language film, um, and that was because perhaps there is so many, when you speak more than we're so, you know, to have English as your first language yeah. is such a, an extraordinary blessing and massive curse because it cuts you off from being able to understand Many things, yeah. you know, including things like different types of code switching culturally and, you know, all, all the different. A language is so much more than just words, isn't it? It's, yeah. you know, it's the, the sort of philosophically and, 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 and it is, it's, it's a mindset. Mm. Um, and so perhaps that was the thing right. that, that I found most fascinating about, about, uh, the, so many doors were open. I get it. That you realize in in a moment how limited you are. Mm. You see your own limits. Yeah, exactly. And and that and and that there's so many more worlds mm. outside of your perception mm. that is limited by your language mm. of whatever it is. Like it can go all the way to spirituality, everything, mm. cultural, spiritual, uh, mm. psychological. Mm. It's all tied into something myopic. And, and once you realize that, you're like. Holy shit. Yeah. Big world out there. And I mean, I I can't even imagine having a relationship with film 
or theatre where I, where I was only interested in seeing things in my own language. Yeah. I just I can't even imagine that now. Do you speak it, other languages? I mean, dreadfully, yeah. you know, really dreadfully. Can um, you understand other languages? Yeah. That's good. I can, yeah. What, like French and Italian? Well, a bit niche. My best yeah. mate uh, speaks Cantonese and we used to work in a Chinese restaurant together. So, <laughs> so I do understand Cantonese, when it, especially when it's shouted at me. You know, quite loudly, and yeah. if if some, yeah, uh, and French. Yeah. You know, I understand. I have I have that awful uh, British thing with speaking French, yeah. which is that my, my other my other half speaks French. Is beautiful, so eloquently speaks French. Um, as his first language, and so and I just and I just feel like a total idiot, really. You know, passer la pont. You know, yeah. with my awful. <laughs> <laughs> it's n- I can't apply any of the tools that I have in my profession, you know, right. to to, to actually yeah no 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 because I'm a dreadful liar I'm just a, the worst liar yeah w- yeah just crap at lying really? which is perhaps maybe my only strength in acting that that's weird because usually you know I think a lot of actors think that's their strength in acting is lying not mine I start I, sweating pretending. I get. But but I think my imagination's very strong, so the belief that perhaps I'm somebody else mm. is is not too far of a stretch. Right. But uh, to actually lie about something day to day, tough. You know, to yeah, I mean, that's good. But well, keep keep your uh, keeps your soul clean if you can't it, lie. It does. I'm actually I've just been sent a uh, French. I've just worked with some wonderful French directors uh-huh. um, with Catherine Deneuve, which was amazing. Um, which is why I have no hair. Because uh, my character was going through chemotherapy. Oh, I was wondering if and this was a what kind of choice it was. <laughs> it was it was a character. Yeah. It was yeah, something to do with the character. And you're working uh, with Deneuve, did you say? Yeah. Oh wow. Uh-huh. We, we finished uh, a couple of months. What was ago the now. relationship in the film? She plays my mom. Oh wow. Um, and and my character has moved. She's an, um, my character's American, but um, but her mother is French, and she's they're estranged and. My character feels largely set aside by yeah. by a mother in uh-huh. many different ways. This um, sounds like a real uplifting movie. Well, it's <laughs> it actually is really funny. Oh, good because it because it's it's Catherine Deneuve, Morgan Saylor, and I, and about two hundred chickens. Huh. So <laughs> chickens, and strangely, Martin Scorsese's producing it. So it's a real odd combination of uh, huh. uh, things. So was it always understood that you were? Uh, an, an actress was your sister. Were you both doing that kind of stuff? Since you both seemed to end up there, I was I had the great fortune of growing up in a place that had the first free youth theatre in Britain, oh. uh, which was established in the sixties. Uh, it was called the People's Theatre, and it was a, a wonderful, wonderful theatre. And they used to do lots and lots of classical theatre and uh-huh. mammoth, and just it, it was somewhere to kids doing mammoth. Oh yeah. <laughs> Oh God, yeah, I yeah, we butchered see, it. <laughs> I think I'd love to see like a fourteen-year-old version of Glengarry Glen Ross. Yeah, well, no, or, we, or or American Buffalo. Yeah, we butchered we butchered a lot of stuff. Pinter, yeah. no stone was unturned. <laughs> That's great. But I but I started there when I was about. I I did the first play I did there was um, I was nine years old and. Um, was it Pinter's birthday party? Or <laughs> I was playing, you know, um, Ray Fiennes. Uh-huh. I was playing his great, 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 and a couple times more grandma. She was the first, the, the play was about her. Huh. He has this 
as you can imagine, incredibly prolific family. The Fines is a, a oh. vast and sprawling in terms of all the incredible things they've done historically. In is Great that Britain. true? It is. And, uh, for example, Sir Ranulph Fines was Oh, I see. An so it had nothing to do with Rafe. It was just that it was part of his family. It was part of his this long yeah. Fines lineage. Yeah. And uh, Cecilia Fines was the first woman famous, famously to ride England's side saddle. Okay. <laughs> um, and there was a, there was a play, uh, r- rather lovely play, in which I played little Cecilia. Oh, interesting. Um, he's a, he's a good actor. Yes, brilliant. I just watched him in something that thing with uh, Je- with Chastain where they go out to the desert. Oh yes, I'm looking forward to seeing that. I just watched it. Mm. I, I'm not sure why I watched it. I watched it on the plane. Mm. Uh, he's very good. In he's, it. Uh, he's extraordinary. And she's really good. So she is. It? She's wonderful. Yeah. Uh, She's wonderful. So that's where you start? And that's their second thing together because they did Coriolanus. I don't know if I saw that. Rafe directed it mm. and was in it. Have you worked with them? No. A um, couple of times uh, w- we have almost worked together mm. and it hasn't worked out. That's a crap story, isn't it? A couple of times. Yeah, well, it's going to happen. <laughs> We're leading up to it. Um, it's just not been right. It's... It, 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 it's, yeah, it, yeah, but it seems like you'll work with everybody eventually. <laughs> I feel sorry for everybody now. <laughs> no. <laughs> so at nine, is that when you are smitten or get the bug to do it? Do you know it's your life from that from that experience? I think being 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 in a dark room surrounded by lots of adults talking about literature and yeah. Is intoxicating in a way that, yeah. yeah, in a in a way that most kids really aren't afford. You're not afforded that experience as a kid. Yeah, and to be strangely treated like an adult, or to to have the same expectations that you would have an adult. Of course, of course, people treated me like a child as well. But there was, but there was a sense of um, having to that you had a job, right? You know that you were, and you had to act like an adult. In many as best ways, you could. yes, yes, in many ways. I imagine, like when you're starting out as a kid, you're playing roles that were supposed to be grown-ups, and you can't really think like, "I can't do this. I'm a kid." Absolutely. So you just do it. Which, which, in a sense, is what we're doing now, isn't it? Yeah. You know, I mean, we're still doing that. We are still doing that, but a lot of times <laughs> it goes the other way. A lot of times we're yes. casting people that are ninety to play fifty, <laughs> and you're like, you couldn't find anybody else. Is that name that big still that's going to draw yeah, people in? I had a really odd career in that way because I started off playing. Yeah, I played Margaret Thatcher was one of the first uh, things that I that I did in the UK. TV, on. yes, and it went. It was a sort of a film that was on television, and, yeah. and she goes from about twenty six to forty, yeah, six or whatever. And I was twenty four or twenty three at the time. Um, but then at the same time, was also playing like thirteen year old and something else. Right. Um, so you had that. You, you were a, a blank what, slate. Well, just it's it's wonderful. It's wonderful to be able to connect with those different times in in your life, ones that haven't even perhaps you haven't experienced yet. You know, yeah, to, to imagine. Right. Mm. It's funny looking back. I'm not sure whether I would have done it actually any differently. Yeah, I mean, I guess you can only emotional. Well, there, I think there's some part of us that doesn't change that much. Mm. Emotionally, you'd like to think so, but I think the core thing, you know, the core emotional wiring you have, mm. I mean, you can shut it off and turn it on and stuff, but I mean, to do a part 
when you're very young of a very old person, I mean, you, you can speculate and turn some things off and honor a script, but like when you actually get older, you're sort of like, I don't feel any different. Is there any, is there any incarnation of yourself that you look back and almost can't recognize? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, because I don't know how, I don't know who the guy, I talk about it sometimes, about the guy who was, when I started doing comedy, who was running around doing one-nighters all over New England for, you know, in, yeah. in situations that were clearly terrifying and weird, uh, <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, and knowing the kind of person I was, I don't know who that guy was who got me through that shit. Mm -hmm. I, like the thought of doing any of them again, it's like, I, I can't even handle it. I know. Walking into in situations where you're like, how does how am I even going to make this work? I know. I, I think about that when I first left RADA, which was the drama school that I went to, uh, and the, there were all these, thank God, different offers and and things coming the in. The Royal I said Academy no of to, Dramatic Arts. That's yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> I said, I, and I said no to so many things, and I and I had a, such a um, such a well, clearly high opinion of myself. <laughs> <laughs> that I shouldn't have had, <laughs> but I had I had such a uh, so clearly d knew what I did and didn't want to do, and I in a sense don't know whether I would have had that courage had now, I had those opportunities later on. Huh. <clears throat> like what? Like so? What were those? Like what did you Just know? Just very mainstream things that I wasn't really very interested in that were badly written and uh, so when you got out of Rada, badly written and quite popular, <laughs> Rada. So like so when do you start going to that school? Is that like a four year thing? It, it's a three-year thing, although they do all sorts of different things now. Um, but it originally was a three-year thing. But that's like your college. Yes, yes, and you and you get you get a. a so you're doing all this BA. sort of uh, people's theater stuff. Yes. And you know, are you being taught at that time when you're in high, uh, younger at all, or are you just doing plays? No, no, no. In school, all the time, you know, sc school like everybody else, and then after school, going to the theater, and then. You know, either rehearsing or being in a production, but not being in an acting class. No acting classes. Uh, the, the class really being doing it. <laughs> right. So, when did you have to audition for the Royal Academy Dramatic Arts? Yes, yes, I did. Yeah. So you're pretty. Uh, you you knew what you were doing. Do you know what? what I, I I don't think I quite realized what I was doing until. I looked at my application and I saw I'd been in 60 plays by the time I was 19. And I thought, oh, maybe I do actually, maybe there's some, I have some sense of what I'm doing here. Or, or at least I, I certainly seem to be, be enjoying this. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, but, but a lot, a lot did go by the wayside. It's such a. What, there? You, well, as you know, it's just such, it's such a, you have to be so devoted. But when you auditioned, you probably had a level of, of experience and some fearlessness at least to to feel confident yes and i suppose what i'm referring to by things going by the wayside is is really everything else you know i was uh academic but right but i um i really had time only for for plays and you yeah. know and um but the weird thing about it was all consuming i guess sure but the weird thing about plays like you said earlier the the feeling of being around adults who were intellectual mm -hmm. and having intellectual conversations mm -hmm. is that you know, plays in and of themselves, many of them are intellectual conversations. In They're, every in every way, I mean, right. so satisfying. You know, right. So, so like you're you're getting it all. Unbelievably transcendent as well. You know, I mean, it just the magic of uh, being in, in a different time, speaking the words of a different time, even. Mm. Yeah, for uh, you sure. Know, that kind of that's got to be the the you know eighty percent of the thrill of doing Shakespeare. It's incredible. Time travel. Have you ever read um, 
probably you, not. You may, <laughs> you may or may not like this. Uh, but it's Peter Hall, who's a director I worked with um, when I was younger. Yeah. Uh, very, very brilliant director. He wrote a book called Shakespeare's Advice to Players, which basically picks out in all of Shakespeare's plays the, the small hints that he's giving his actors because he... Oh, was constantly noting them. He hated the, you know, <laughs> he'd, he'd take issue with the way that people spoke as words. Really? Pentameter, okay. as an example. Yeah. You know, it's, it's got the five beats, etc. cetera. Uh, yeah, I'm weird. I'm, I, I have an aversion to Shakespeare. And yeah. I've had people Understandable. sell me it. But I still haven't embarked on reading it. Mm. Well, when you read his instruction, Pause. the bar, the bard himself. Oh, okay. Well, when you read, when when Hall directs you to the bard's instructions yeah. about how to actually speak his text, he's basically just saying, "Say it." Yeah. And I think anything <laughs> other than that seems inauthentic, and that's yeah. where that's where we all run into problems. I think yeah. If you start trying to ex- explain Shakespeare, you you find yourself in a bit of a rut. Yeah. Or emphasize bits that don't need to be emphasized. Do you love doing it? Absolutely. I haven't done it for. Probably the longest. It's probably the longest stretch that I haven't done it for ever in my life. Is this I, last? Stretch. I just watched uh, the dresser. Oh, when was the last time you saw that movie? Oh my goodness. Oh my god! I just like for some reason I kept quite a while. Couldn't get that. I just had that thing in my head where you know, Tom Courtney comes back into the dressing room and Albert Finney had put on Othello blackface and he just god. turns around and he's like, "Wrong play. We're not doing that." <laughs> <laughs> and just, Horrible. but the acting. In it is Albert Finney's beyond like anything I've ever seen before. I don't know if you remember it. It's he's, just he's a guy who's in the middle of having a, a, an emotional and mental breakdown, you know, in you know war torn England, running around with this Shakespeare company that's mm-hmm. barely keeping it together, and he's the main actor and the leader of it, and he's losing his mind. He's one of those performers, Albert Finney, who sometimes only really truly brilliant. Performers can give an absolutely dreadful performance because they're so committed to sort of what they're doing. Yeah. And that sounds an awful way to describe any of Albert Finney's work because he's, you know, everything is, is, is genius. I'm just thinking about the one performance where I thought, how did that happen of Albert Finney's, which is oh, when he played Poirot. It, I mean, firstly, I'm not entirely sure where his Poirot's from. He's Italian in some parts and then. French and others, Belgian, Flemish. Which, which play? It goes is this? all over the what map. Is it? It's, a, it, it's it's in a, in the film. The film he plays. Uh, it's uh, um, Murder on the Orient Express. Uh, oh, I think. Oh, 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 Perot. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. Everybody's so, in it yes, at the yes, time. Yes, I remember. You yeah, know, yeah, every, yeah, Everyone yeah. and his and mother is terrible. in the cast. He was extraordinarily brilliantly bad. <laughs> <laughs> and only somebody as good as him could have been so, so because he was so utterly committed to those twenty-two different accents. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, and but, just, but what's but everything that comes out of his mouth comes from his toes. So you don't, you kind of don't care. Well, that's one of those movies that should have been, in and of itself, kind of uh, over the top. You know, it's sort of like knives yes. out. Well, interestingly, Agatha Christie said that Albert Finney was her favorite favorite Poirot. Oh yeah, she yeah. was in it and watched it in the theater. Huh. Maybe I think that was a, that was a spidey senses where she was picking <laughs> up on his sort of just golden quality of acting. Uh huh. Yeah, I think it's an over-to-the-top genre, really, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, it is. All right, so you get into the Royal uh, Academy of Dramatic Arts. So what what do you learn (laughs) after being your own— I mean, to be honest, Mark, everything and all at once, it seemed like. Yeah. You know, it it was— You were ready, though. 
was, I mean, just, I was so ready. Yeah. Uh, I'd, I had stopped doing it for a while before I went to Rada. What'd you I, I do? I didn't think, just had lots of different jobs, working in a Chinese restaurant, as Learned I said. some Cantonese. Yeah, yeah. But you knew you wanted to be an actor. No. I didn't know whether that's no. what I was going to do. So you're kind of bumming around, having a crisis, working no. in a Chinese place. I, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say bumming around. Mm. Uh, it wasn't an easy time, mm. but it was a. Um, but I'm glad I had it. Mm-hmm. And um, so by the time I got to Rada, I really, fe- you know, I'd, I already had my own place. I had lots of jobs. I, yeah. you know, I was self-sufficient. I sort of, yeah, was it, I was just ready to to work. And had to you been learn. heartbroken? In my life. Yeah. <laughs> At that time, did you go through a, a full arc of youth and you were sort of felt grounded in a certain amount of uh, humility and acceptance? No, not right. I mean, yeah, I mean, yes, of course I'd been heartbroken. Mm. Um, but, you know, I, that was like the least of my problems, really, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. I mean, it was fucking horrible, don't get me wrong, but it was, um, you know, I mean, that, you know, being heart, when you're a teenager, I feel like being heartbroken is yeah. something that you can kind of almost, you know, at least at least your depression has purpose. Right, yeah. It's a, <laughs> right, it's a, right, a right of passage. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No. Uh, but but when I got there, you know, I it, it was interesting to see we had many different people from many different walks of life yeah. in in that in my year at college, and it was interesting to see how everyone who was where everybody was. You know, some yeah. people hadn't made toast for themselves before, right? And um, it was their time to it was their hedonistic. You know, it was their time to let rip and right. find themselves. But and, there were some people they they kind of admit all ages kind of deal. It's based on talent. So you had people there that were may have been older as well and been through some. How does it work? Based on talent, uh, there are very unfortunately have lots of donations, so yeah. they're able to really choose who they uh-huh. who they want to choose. Yeah, um, and between about eighteen and thirty is the is the. And they mm-hmm. take on thirty people a year. Um, oh, pretty exclusive. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I didn't think I would get in. To be honest, I coughed a skin ball up in my second audition in the middle of a speech. Haven't done it before or since. What exactly? What I don't is know. That? It was like a tiny mean? ball of skin came from my throat. What? Yeah, in the middle of a speech. What does that even mean? I was doing. Um, <laughs> I mean, I assume it was skin, unless it was like a nut or something. Yeah. I hadn't been eating nuts. I was Odd. doing. Um, uh, Cymbeline. I was doing a speech from Cymbeline, and halfway through, I sort of, you know, like in yeah. you know in Disney's Aladdin, where the camel spits out a hairball. Yeah, was, <laughs> so it was a bit like that, but smaller. Yeah, and um, that came that out. Was, you thought that was going to obviously said nix sorry, it. <laughs> said sorry, and carried on. And then toward the end, had a conversation about thinking about you know musing on whether Shakespeare was a woman, which didn't go down very well. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah, I didn't think I was going to hear anything back after uh-huh. that one. I thought, well, I got to the second round, but fuck it. I'm like, so. Yeah, but they, they can see past that. Yeah, uh, apparently. Yeah. So you get in there and like, well, how does how does one hit the ground running at that place? It was so, it was so wonderful. I mean, I think everybody who goes, it's a rite of passage, isn't it? Yeah. Any kind of education. Yeah, sure. Institution or whatever. But it was so practical and hands-on, and there was nothing theoretical about it. And it was like having a really, really intense six jobs at once. Mm. 
So you you just practiced and practiced and practiced what, and practiced. What speech, movement, dance, Shakespeare, and and you know and and being in a wheel of different productions all all the time. So so constantly being able to hone your craft, you know, in lots of different ways, and then get, and then being given tools by people who were working in the industry as dialect coaches or mm-hmm. you know yeah. voice coaches or so you really got the full picture methods uh, teachers and that and that was just it was invaluable um i don't but I, I don't think it's for everyone i think for me I, I wouldn't have i can't imagine those three i was had a fantastic year and i can't imagine that those three years being spent with any other group of humans than, than the yeah. ones that I spent them with. It was it was wonderful. Did you ever try doing, you know, comedy or improv or any of that stuff? Yeah. Um I did a lot of comedy um before pretty early on actually. Funny enough. Well my first foray into film well uh Mike Lee was my first experience with film, but my my first sort of larger role in a film was was more comedic. Uh-huh. But at the same time, I was also at the RSC at the same time. So it was, that was kind of as I was having this quite surreal experience of. Um, so you went from RADA to R- the RSC? I uh, went from RADA to the National and then from the National to the RSC. Uh, and the National's the sort of um, a w- wonderful, wonderful theater. In, in yeah, London. I've been there. I saw, yeah. I saw uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf there. Did you? At some point, yeah. Who was it? Can you remember who it was? It was many years ago. Many moons like, ago. I just uh, saw uh, Zach Quinto. In Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? Did you see that production no, over here? Uh-uh. He was absolutely extraordinary. Yeah, because for the for the first time, it was the first time I'd heard the words again. Mm. Because Richard Burton's performance is so vast yeah. and incomparable, and you know, in and I I heard so many things that I hadn't heard before. Huh. It was really wonderful. That's, I think that's the amazing thing about a great piece of art in general is that it kind of mm. grows with you. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a matter of you know your perception or interpretation, and it, it kind of grows with you. It's mm. great. It does. Yeah, I, that theater thing is like it's got to be the best. You know, I like I I don't I didn't spend my life trying to be an actor, and when I do it, especially in films or in TV. I, I don't necessarily find it as satisfying as I'd like because of the waiting. But I, I know what it's like to perform. Mm. And I imagine, like, you know, locking into a play, it's, it's got to be the best. It really is. I mean, I because yeah, you're in it, man. You're just. Perhaps the harrowing thing is the repetition for six months, sure. you know, depending on what's happening in the play. <laughs> I guess that's a different kind of repetition. <laughs> like it's one thing to be in a trailer for 10 hours and do a scene, you know, n- you know, 50 times and, as opposed to like doing a show every night for 50, 60 days. And even just in a really reductive way, I mean, say like 10, 20 years ago and it's still happening now uh, where, you know, doing a lot of classical theatre and uh, – Playing a male or a female role is com- a completely different experience, you know. Yeah. Um, I remember an actor saying to me years ago, "Oh God, I just love doing a play. It's fantastic. Get in there, yeah. first act, break, second act, courtroom scene, straight down the pub." <laughs> and me thinking, "Wow, that's really not the. I've just lost my husband. Uh, had my hand chopped off. Been, you know, often the." The woman's role in theatre is is to emote, 
Right. And to do that over and over and over and over again yeah. sometimes is, is, is uh, taxing. And that's changing, of course. Everything's changing. Yeah. Hugely. Yeah. And uh, we're also, which I think is fucking brilliant. Everybody's playing every type of role now. Yeah. Which has just been such a long time coming because we're all humans, aren't we? Sure. Speaking, yeah. to speak to Shakespeare... All the parts were played by the same demographic, right? Yeah. So why shouldn't we all be able to play everything? I mean, in in, in some way. Sure. But um. So when you're at the Royal Shakespeare Company, how how many Shakespeare plays do you do? Um. Now I'm just now I'm just backtracking on my words there. I'm saying we should all be able to play everything. Okay. I don't really believe that. <laughs> what I meant was. In classical theatre, yeah, and in theatre, yeah, we none of us are um, Elizabethan um, <laughs> humans, yeah. So why not give everyone a chance to? Sure. If we want to keep that kind of theatre alive, that kind of verse alive, why not give everyone a chance to be able to explore it? That's what I mean. Yeah. I don't think we should all be able to play everything. Actually, yeah, it seems to be going a different direction. Well, right? yeah, it's not. That's actually not. I don't think that's helpful at all, actually. <laughs> right. You know. But I think the, the idea that I'm getting is that, that there are roles that were designated. Uh, and in it seems in some classical theater that young men were playing women and mm-hmm. women – that there was some – that the humanity of the play should be available to any human. That's exactly it. And beautifully put. <laughs> <laughs> Good. But how many do you do when you're there, like Shakespeare plays, when you're at the company? Uh, it depends. Uh, I, w- I was doing a, a shorter run because I was there with the Peter Hall Company, and we were doing a little bit, uh, a little bit of it with the RSC, a mm-hmm. little bit of it was um, at the Theatre Royal in Bath. Um, sometimes he does plays in town in London, um, but often you do them in rep. Okay, so at the yeah. National or at the RSC, you'll do yeah. three plays in rep, and uh, and it's a wonderful experience. It's an experience where you feel like you know. A band of players. It's something familiar. Community. Out of drama school. It's community. Yes. <laughs> um, we talked about that earlier. That, that you know, the idea of community is very real in theatre. Well, I think it's hard for performers often to be cut off from their lifeblood. You know, like the, the, it, for you or I, we're used to an audience or a, having a yeah. that, that kind of – it's a special rapport. Mm. It feeds you in some way, whether you're aware of it or not. And mm-hmm. it's something that's a – you know, it's a spiritual thing. I mean, it, as much as anything else. And when that's cut off, it's the thing about being a stand, a stand-up or or an actor. You can't just stand on the street corner and try and make people laugh or do a monologue. You can. Wants to listen. I mean, you can. It's called busking. People do. People do. <laughs> but it, but yeah. it's difficult. Sure. You know. You, yeah. No. It's there a, are certain circumstances that that it's it's a bit difficult. It's a bit different than picking up a guitar. Yeah. Yeah. yeah <clears> for sure. Mainly because you're just fucking irritating if yeah. you're standing doing that. Yeah, half yeah, the time. trying to get people. <laughs> <laughs> hey, come on over. Look at I'm doing a thing. But uh, but I think one of the difficult things when when you leave an institution like that or a company like that or you stop doing the shows mm. or you get off the road is yeah. that you lose that connection. Yeah, I, it's I make sure I k- try to keep hold of it. Yeah, try to keep that's, it. Like that's why I go do these shorter sets and mm-hmm. stuff just to make sure that part of me, the muscle that is in constant connection with an audience, is still mm. active. I remember when we were doing Birdman, Zach would go and do evening, he would go and do stand-up 
after a day of shooting. Galvanakis? Yeah. Where were you shooting that? Uh, New York. Because like he doesn't do it that much anymore. But he, sometimes he comes around because he, there's some. He's I think he has a very profound love hate relationship with expectations of a stand up stage. Right. And but it's funny though he does you know when he does crave it and he does show up it's kind of effortless for him. He's he's an incredible. Uh, I I just found him to be an incredible person working yeah. with him. Yeah. So. so um, well, that's what, like, you d- you've done a lot of interesting movies. So it, it, whatever your choices were after you got out of, when you were sort of, uh, when, when the, the world decided you were uh, worthy of being elevated, we're going to deliver this woman into the, the great realm of show business. Right, yeah. Jazz but, hands out. <laughs> but you were, like, you protected yourself. I hope so, yeah. Well, I mean, like, you know, you said that your first experience with, was with Mike Lee. I can't, that must have been life-changing. Well, yeah, and you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, do you? You know, the yeah. things that I learned from that experience, that, that it's important to preserve those things. I'm sure you have the same thing. A few. With your, with with material, with sure. thoughts, with meaningful things. You yeah, know, people just, you've worked with and, you know, people that have inspired you. Yeah. People, you know, and I've met a lot of people now. Mm-hmm. Like, I do take away some things. But, I mean, what did you take away from, with him? Because that was so early so, on. So many things. Yeah. So many things. Um, in many ways, to stop being such a, uh, uh, to stop doing as as much work. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm not work shy. Yeah. And uh, and sometimes that just becomes counterproductive, and you know, more more of an obsession. You mean? Yeah. Sure. Than, yeah. Than, yeah. I could see that. That's something that's yeah. um, that's valuable. But yeah. um, that and and just uh, a freedom. Mm. I think filmmakers like Mike have retained the sort of integrities that the, the, it's the stuff of dreams for most of us, really. Mm. And it, it takes a very very strong character to be able to um, for a whole retain career. that, yeah, yeah. Um, and to be very clear about what you do and don't want to put your energy into. Well, that's a that's a hell of a lesson to learn if you can hold Isn't on it? to that and make that your life. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I often feel so um, I'm quite susceptible to just being dragged in lots of different directions. Are you? No, I. I that's I, great. I mean, I have, but they, you know, like it. It it's taken a certain amount of fortitude and and I think just basic success to to be able to say no mm. as much as possible. And make yeah. sure I'm not doing it out of fear. Right. I think my pro- problem might be if my heart gets involved or, um, you know, then I'm all in, regardless of whether it's, like, good for me or not or, you know, yeah. <laughs> I should be, you know, maybe not all in. So, no, I've spent a lot of time sort of playing the lead in independent film. Right. What's, I think, some, sometimes what's, distressing is that you know those anti-heroes female anti-heroes or those anti-heroes who just aren't white dudes right white guys uh often aren't the you know only now are we seeing more protagonists right. that fit that bill right it's, it's um in mainstream movies you mean. and i and i have conversations like this all, all the time as a producer yeah but it, it's it's the sort of uh goodness and redemption and uh, p- 
purity that's demanded of a female character that's not demanded of a male character. And, right. you know, to center a film around that, you know, in Shadowdance, a player, play member of the IRA who ultimately is responsible for the deaths of many people, you know, and, and she's also a young mother. Mm. And so for a lot of people, it's, you know, it's a difficult thing to wrap your head around. Yeah. That said, I met many of those women who were in exactly that situation. Yeah. And so really it's just a reflection of life. And I, I think so rarely in cinema do we reflect life. Yeah. I mean... Certainly not in mainstream movies. And the, and the, the, the morality that the characters are he- held to or the sort of the moral standards that they're held to yeah. is so uh, unreal. Right. Um, so has that been your quest as a producer to bring more of that? I, I, in every way. Yeah. I mean, I think when you read something and you think, oh, that's extraordinary. Yeah. Whether that's Rosalind and As You Like It, who is posing as a man, or it's a completely, you know, a writer-director who's just emerging and has not really had the right platform or yeah. spotlight or support. Yeah. Um, and they've created a, an LGBTQ plus musical written in beat poetry, which is what Please Baby Please is, a film that we made recently. I made that with a brilliant writer-director called Amanda Kramer. Um, those things... I think for anyone, if they get to you, they make your soul sing because it's something when you share those pieces with people and when people see them, I, I, I rarely have I, have I ever heard the feedback when people finally do see these things of, you know, well, that wasn't fucking worth it. You know, right. it's always the the, the, the the feedback is always how extraordinary and why is there not more of this? Um, yeah, because like, uh, y- 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 you know, our perception is dictated by what is the most sort of hammered into us all the time. So when we see these smaller stories, you know, about people that live different lives or difficult lives or or maybe you know, are not happy ending movies, uh, we've been sort of programmed to believe that those are uh, somehow like require a different type of attention mm-hmm. or are, you know, not – you know, they're going to be too heavy or what, you know, whatever it is. Yeah, and just, the, you know, the the narrow representation of every demographic or yeah. the misrepresentation of every demographic. Um, the more voices that we get, the more the, the, the ver- more varied voices we get. I think in yeah, cinema, the better. It's definitely it's true with everything. With everything. Yeah, I mean, how, you know, we would you, would you rather have a, a bunch of white guys making up points of view mm-hmm. or just get the points of view from the but, source? But we also have a, we have a, an extra responsibility in our industry as filmmakers, I think, because it is such a privileged industry because there is so much money flying yeah. about. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, the majority of the world's struggling at the same time. Sure. And whatever whatever we put out there, <laughs> even if you think about the film Gandhi, you know, yeah. <laughs> but whatever we, we put out there sometimes even un- unfortunately becomes historical fact, you know, in, in the most dangerous, insidious way. Yeah. So, we, we, you know, we have a responsibility in every way to, to not be just trying to fund people's second homes in Palm Springs. Yeah, to do the real art. Yeah, and to, and to, to care about the, the details. And, yeah. 
to care to to ask to, yeah so, to put it in the right hands to put sure. it in the hands of somebody who has an experience of whatever the hell it is we're you know, what the story talking is. about yeah. <laughs> yeah so is that what you do with the production company well the production company is um it was sort a sort of born out of a bit of frustration really mm. and me just really getting sick of the sound of my own voice moaning about you know the state of things and you, you can only do that so long before you actually just pull your finger out your ass and do mm. something about it but um it just sees a project from its inception you know through its development it's the making the shooting of it and then sort of beyond distribution even um and it's a sort of financial cushion at all of those turns yeah uh for a film that may at, at any of those points that i just mentioned get lost yeah um you know I'm sure we've both had that experience of being in something that you feel so proud of and it's just fucking, you just think, yeah. God, I would love everyone to see this and it's it's just a wall. Um, it's happening can, now with our movie. It can only be scaled by money. Yeah, I, it's like, yeah. it makes me not want to do things. Like, because I'm not, <laughs> I like, I'm no, yes. no, no, I mean, just as an actor, because it's not really my bread and butter and it, like, I do get something out of it and I get offered a lot of these small movies, but there's like, it's not usually a, a lot of times I'm just sort of like, no one's, this is not going, I'm not going to put my life into this unless, you know, it has, you know, what you're talking about, deeper meaning or it feels good to me. But yeah. a lot of times it's just so discouraging because most things, I talk to directors all the time. It's like they'll, they'll put five, six years into something and it's like, where can I see it? And they're like, I don't know if it's on right now, but you know, it's like, it's terrible. The heartbreak is fucking, I can't, like just the fact that I haven't seen most of your independent movies makes me feel shitty. Because, like, I don't know about them. You know, I got to go look for them. Yeah. And, like, our movie right now, like, know, you know, I the know. fucking distributor dropped the ball on, you know, you know, facilitating something that would bring a lot more attention to the movie. And it's just sort of like one idiot's going to, like, that That happened. And now this movie that's struggling with 100% Rotten Tomatoes scores that everyone should see because mm -hmm. of the work you did, the work we all did, mm -hmm. is now, you know, it's been hobbled by the people that are responsible for putting it out there. I think... <laughs> I, I, yeah, no, I know. I think the more transparent we are about it, the better. Yes. And the what people don't quite understand is that that there is not an equal. There's not equal footing for everyone, and that's not because of huge hundred million dollar yeah. um, publicity budgets. That's because there literally isn't equal footing. Yeah, and we're operating in a system where everything costs something, even yes. to just submit your film. Yeah. to an awards. Um, sure. Yeah. Platform. Yeah. And if people aren't aware of that, there are, as there always have been, a few a few players that have a lot of power. Uh -huh. And those always change. They revolve and change. Uh -huh. But I think one of the most s sad things is, and, and, and also like is dangerous things, is this assumption that we know what an audience wants. Yeah. I think that's one of the most... Uh, yeah, but who, exactly. And who are those people that decide that? What are the numbers? What's the mathematics? Mostly it's just people that are afraid of losing their jobs. It's that constant conversation in our industry. You <sighs> want to see something new. So you bring something new and they say, we haven't yeah. seen it before. Yeah. Who's this going to be? Who? who, yeah. who where's we, the audience? Who's attached? Yeah. Um, and it's, it's actually, a, I think, a huge judgment on not just cinema goers, but consumers, you know, at large. I hear so many times people saying there's nothing to watch. 
when they, you know, when there's so much, as as we know, so much stuff being made all the yeah. time. Well, but that's because only these certain things get through. And I think people get overwhelmed and exhausted by the choices. So you have to – someone has to guide them somewhere. They do, but it's 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 the height of – I mean, it's, 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 it's evil. I mean, there are kids starving, you yeah, know. Yeah. The amount of things that are being made and I think a lot of the time, unfortunately, things end up being background noise, you know. Yeah. And, th- and then there's maybe – 10, yeah. 20% that gets through that's like really fantastic quality and, yeah. and, and that's wonderful. And one of the things that I absolutely love is that the some of the great filmmakers like Inuri 2 and um, I mean, there's so, so many like him now are being championed by those bigger platforms mm. and being allowed to do what they want to do. Still, I don't know, yeah, still do, you know, honoring their vision. Still. I mean, I don't yeah. know if you've seen Bardo, but I, it's, I have it. I've got to watch it. Oh, you, I, I think you, well, I'm really interested. I'm really, really interested to hear what you have to say about that, actually. Yeah. Um, you loved it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I generally like his movies. I, I, he's. Uh, one of, I mean, just one of the best people I've ever worked with. Why? So brave, it's so brave, so courageous. You know, has is his strength of vision, mm. and also he's a musician, really in yeah. his blood. Yeah. So th- there's always this beat that I feel with Alejandro. You know, uh-huh. when you watch his films, when you're around him, when you. There's something uh, intoxicating about about his sort of zest for exploring life and psychology and mm-hmm. his fearlessness. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good. I'm excited to watch it. Yeah. Um, but it was uh, it was uh, it was definitely exciting and an honor to work with you as an actor. Oh, and are you? Well, I mean, I did. Yeah. I my God. My God. My friend, my friend went to see it. My friend Steve, who's a director. Yeah. And he uh, he was like, wow, she was amazing. And she's like, the whole thing. And, and, and he said, before you came on, right when, right out of the gate, she was just doing this thing. And, and he was, and this is a guy I know since college. He goes, I was worried about you. Because <laughs> he, he hadn't come on yet. And I'm like, is Mark, is Mark going to be able to, to hold up? <laughs> and he said, you did good. He said, it must have been like being in the ring with Tyson. Uh- I didn't feel that at all. I felt we did, uh, you know, it was all pretty, um, I, I wasn't uh, uh, nervous or afraid of it. And, uh, you know, I just you know, felt like we showed up pretty well. I couldn't have wished for a better partner. Oh, thank Honestly, you. I couldn't have. And I felt so, in all of the ways that Leslie feels seen, loved, accepted, mm. and judged <laughs> in, yeah. in an appropriate way by Sweeney, I, f- I, felt, I felt those things. Straight away, yeah. It was such. It was. It was natural. It was yeah. just very natural. Yeah. I can't imagine it any other way. Well, well, thank you. And I'm I, so happy. I'm so happy that that this is the way that it worked out. Yeah, and I hope more people see the movie. It was great talking to you. Oh, thanks, thank you for Mark. making it's the time. It's lovely talking to you. You feel all right? Yeah. Good. Yeah, I feel all right. I always feel like an idiot, but you know, yeah. generally, apart from, I think that's probably a good sense to always keep. You know, in your yeah, back to keep pocket. that fresh. Just remember, you're an feel idiot. Like, <laughs> yeah, and everything is very fleeting. Mm. Nothing's that relevant. Nothing's that relevant. <laughs> Good talk to you. 
Okay, that was me and Andrea Riceboro. Right? Right? She's pretty amazing, right? The movie, Too Leslie, is available to buy or rent on most video-on-demand platforms or watch your screeners, Academy members. All right, hang out for a second. Okay, listen. Listen up. We've got something in the works for Full Marin subscribers. By the time you're hearing this, I'll have gone to my first wrestling show. So we've got bonus material coming up with my trip to AEW at the Forum. I also had the AEW owner Tony Khan and wrestler Chris Jericho over to the garage. You're paying some dues. Did you ever? Yeah. Did you do those gigs that like comics do, like hell gigs? All of them. <laughs> I did a a, a, ch- a kid's birthday party once for a, for a hot dog and an orange juice. Really? That's my best payoff. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you do all those ones. I mean, I remember in Mexico, some of those some of the places we worked were so shitty. I remember a guy taking a, a, a shower out of the back of a toilet. Yeah. And he's like, "No, it's okay. It's clean water." I'm like, "Dude, it's from a toilet. Like, I <laughs> yeah. don't care how clean it is. But, a toilet is a toilet." So, but they always had a ring. They always had a ring. Sometimes there are boxing rings, which are hard like this table. Right. You're not doing any, we call them bumps, and not yeah. bumps of cocaine. Bumps are, what you, are the falls yeah. that you take in wrestling. Yeah. You're not taking a lot of bumps in a boxing ring because it's just too hard. So you would just go out there and just pantomime and just fuck around because it's not on TV and there's 50 drunks in the crowd. And yeah. Just get the hell out of there and get your 200 pesos and go home. Was there like ever nights where there was like 10 people? And oh, eight? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the smallest crowd I think I wrestled was in Rimby, Alberta, seven people. Yeah. And it's hard. Listen, I could wrestle in a stadium tomorrow in front of 70,000 people and yeah. be less nervous than wrestling in front of seven people. Yeah, it's, it's, you got to hold seven you, people. And you can see, as you know, yeah. you see each person in the crowd. Yeah, but yeah, you yeah. actually get to know these people. I'm sure you've totally. done the same gigs. Like, oh, the guy yeah. with the dark hair is getting bored. I better like do right. something. And right? you just you're and there's and then there's the the uh, war against embarrassment. Yeah. Because when there's seven people there, it's already a little sad. It's terrible, and and, so, the, and the people that are there are embarrassed. Yeah, everyone's it's like they like we made the wrong decision yeah. to come to the wrestling tonight. Yeah, oh my God, same with the band. Sometimes you play, and it's like oh fuck, not yeah. anymore, thankfully. But we played the you know oh, the yeah. games with seven people with the band too. That sucks. Also, I never understood it. Like, but I, I, you'd go do the show, but when I'd get there, I'd be like, you know, what do you want to go? Do you want to just leave? <laughs> yeah, you, well, you can go. <laughs> yeah. I'm really, I feel bad for you. You're right. It's so embarrassing. It's a little weird, but they always stay, dude. They do, and then once again, that's the real secret. That's paying your dues. If you can get a crowd of seven interested in what you're doing, yeah, that's a hell of a talent to be able to have. Well, they're also they don't want to hurt your feelings, so well, they're yeah. going to say. <laughs> if you walk a crowd of seven, <laughs> yeah. even two of them, it's that's yeah. got to be worse. Yes. To sign up for the full Marin so you can get all the wrestling with Mark bonus content, go to the link in the episode description and or click on WTF Plus over at WTFPod.com. Next week, I talk to director Todd Field on Monday about Tar in the bedroom and how he invented Big League Chew. On Thursday, I talk with Oscar winner Octavia Spencer. All right, now I, I'm just like, I labor over, over this guitar, but this one was a little, a little slack. But I played, I played it.
Boomer lives. Monkey and the Fonda, cat angels everywhere.